Welcome to the next message from Encounter Church. For more information about our church, visit us online at EncounterPGH.com. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the message. So uh, we are beginning a series we've actually done the last few years at Encounter Church called Heroes and Villains. How many of you have been at one of our services before where we have done this before? This is a, a favorite of ours. Well, it's a favorite of mine. I don't know if you guys like it, but I do, so we're just going to keep doing it. But um, Heroes and Villains um, is a series that we've done in years past, and we're bringing it back for the next three weeks. And it's really a, a series where what we do is we take stories from the Bible, some of the best and worst characters in the Bible. Bible, and then we try to find what does this story have to say to us. Um, and the reason for that is because the people in the Bible, the stories and the characters are not just stories. They're not just characters. They are us. If you watch a movie and you've ever cried or if you've ever laughed or you've used it as an example in your life to help explain, the reason why story is so powerful is because it allows us to identify with what's going on in it and we can see our part in it. Well, the story of the Bible is even greater than that because the entire story is a story of humanity. It's a story of God redeeming it. It's a story of God telling us who he is, and he encourages us to see ourselves in it to learn what he would say about us. And so as we return to this series, we're going to explore the lives of, like I said, some of the best and some of the worst people in the Bible and find our stories in them and ask, what might God say to us in them. And so the next three weeks, we're going to be talking about a few different people. Today, we're talking about Abraham. Next week, we're going to be uh, exploring the story of a man named Simon the Sorcerer. Simon the Sorcerer, he's in the book of Acts. And then the last week of August, we're going to be talking about the truest and best hero of all, Jesus. Um, and, but we're actually going to be talking about just one specific story. There are like a hundred different stories we could talk about Jesus, but we're going to be tackling one specific one at the end of the month. So today we're going to be talking about Abraham. How many of you ever heard of Abraham in the Bible? Okay, so only a few of us, um, but before we get into who he is and what he's famous for, I thought it'd be fun for us to start today by uh, looking into some other famous Abrahams. Um, so maybe you'll be familiar with some of these guys. So the first one is, uh, let's look on the screen here. Um, we should have his picture. Ah, yes, Abraham Lincoln, uh, famous for abolishing slavery and also for incredibly fashionable top hats. Abraham Lincoln, one of the presidents, he's on, I think, the penny, right? I think he's on the penny, so he's famous. How about this guy? This is another incredibly famous Abraham. His name is Abe Vigoda. How many of you have ever, have ever heard of Abe Vigoda? No? Well, guess what? Abe is famous for his roles in The Godfather, as well as in Joe versus the Volcano with, uh, I think, Tom Hanks, I believe, was in that. Maybe? I'm not sure. Um, but don't worry. Abe's going to be popular or be uh, important to understand why he's so famous in just a minute, or we'll see that in a second. Another person who's famous is uh, Abraham Maslow. Anybody have ever heard of him? Some of our smart individuals in the room have probably heard of Abraham Maslow. He is famous for creating the hierarchy of human needs. And what this is, if you can see down here, is um, this is a, a sort of a pyramid of, of items where if every human being has these things, physiological uh, needs, safety needs, love and belonging, esteem, and self-actualization, you'll be a healthy, holistic human being, right? So that's what he's famous for. But I think that maybe one of the most famous Abrahams of all time is this next guy, uh, Abraham Ford. Abraham Ford. Have you ever seen the show The Walking Dead? No? Only a couple? All right. Well, this is where my nerdiness comes out. So he's famous for his temper, 
and for shooting, his shooting skills. Yeah, and for his excellent handlebars mustache, okay? Um, Abraham was cool, fiery, bright red hair. Um, so those are just a few famous Abrahams that we have seen. Now, today we're going to be talking about another famous Abraham, and that is Abraham from the Bible, the biblical Abraham. And interestingly enough, how many of you have ever heard of the website Ranker? Ranker.com. Anybody in the room? A couple of us. So what it does is there's a topic that's created, and then the users can upvote or downvote what they think in ranking and order. Interestingly enough, number one, can you guess who the number one most famous Abraham of all time would be according to Ranker.com? Abraham Lincoln was number one. Number two was Abe Vigoda. Yes. And then number three was biblical Abraham. This is crazy to me that, that the internet thinks that Abe Vigoda is more famous than the biblical Abraham. Now, the name of Abraham is the most, probably the most uh, famous individual in the entire Bible except for Jesus. In fact, his name was mentioned over 200 times. Abraham's name is found in the Bible over 200 times. He is the central figure in the history of humanity and its redemption story in the Bible. So when we hear about Jesus, it all started ultimately with Abraham because it is through Abraham that the promised seed came, Jesus, the Messiah, right? In fact, Abraham is called Father Abraham. We actually sang this song a few uh, weeks ago at our family service. He was the father of many nations. And the reason for that is because God called Abraham, we're going to talk about this later today, but called Abraham and said, go to another place that I'm going to show you and I will make you a great nation. And, and all nations will be blessed through you. And so he is actually called Father Abraham. But Abraham just started off as an average guy who was living in the desert of modern-day Iraq. Okay, that's where Abraham was from. So now to understand Abraham's significance, let's begin our journey by reading from Genesis chapter 12. If you guys have your Bibles, open it up to Genesis 12. It's the very first book of the Bible. It's not hard to find. Open it up on the very left side, move in 12 chapters, and we're going to be reading in verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, we have them for free at our Connection Center, but also I encourage you to get your smartphone or tablet and get the Bible app and uh, open it there. Genesis 12, verse 1 says this, the Lord said to Abram. Somehow he heard from him. He appeared to him. Somehow God appeared or spoke to Abram or, and he understood and he said to him, go out from your land, your relatives, uh, and go out from your land, your relatives and your father's house to the land that I will show you. In other words, I'm sending you somewhere that you have never been and I want you to leave everything that you know behind. And he says this, here's the promise. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. And here's the promise. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now this is, this is the promise right here. Okay. So like we call him father Abraham because God said that one day when you get to the place that I'm going to send you, all the people on earth are going to be blessed through you. In fact, we are sitting here today, a blessed people people because of Abraham's obedience. And so look what happens in verse four. So Abraham went as the Lord told him. Now, some context for what's going on right here to help us understand. We see it in verse five, just the very next verse. It says, so he took his wife, Sarai, his nephew, Lot, all the possessions that they had accumulated and the people that they had acquired in Haran and they set out for the land of Canaan. Now, the reason this is important is to understand is because where he was going and what it took. 
Abram had a whole lot to consider. He had, he had people. He had goats. He had supplies. He had camels. He had a lot of money. He had his family. He had his servants. He had his tents. He had everything. And he was told by God to go 500 miles south on foot. We have a, a picture here on the screen. Haran is up in the Turkey area, and he was walking all the way down left to the bottom of where we know is Iraq or Israel. So 500 miles on foot from Turkey to Israel through the desert, through mountainous region on foot with a bunch of like whiny kids and his, you know, family members and his servants and all the supplies and everything incredibly slow. Could you imagine walking 500 miles? And I would walk 500 more. <laughs> mm -hmm. Okay. Anyway, but it was slow, and he had no conception of what he was going to find there. I mean, I, I think that he understood what Canaan was. It's kind of like if you were to take a trip to maybe Mongolia, right? If anybody's ever said, I think I know some things about Mongolia. I don't really know what it's like there. I don't know what the people are like there. I don't know what kind of food they eat there. I don't know. But if God said, I want you to pack up, pack your bags and go to Mongolia, that's what it's like for Abram. Abram heard God say, I want you to pick up and go to this place, Canaan, that's 500 miles from here. And he had a lot to consider. Like, a lot to take in, a lot to deal with, the drama that he was going to have to do, the work that it was going to take, the speed bumps that we're going to have. He had to consider all of that, all for a vision of the future from God, a promise of something that was to come. And the result of that, ultimately, is that Abraham is miraculously given a child in old age. He had no kids. So the first question that Abraham asked God was, well, how the heck am I supposed to be the father of many nations when I don't even have kids? And so we see throughout the story that God gives Abraham a child miraculously in his old age. In fact, he becomes the great-grandfather to what would become the 12 tribes of Israel. So Abraham has Isaac, and then Isaac has Jacob, and then Jacob has 12 sons, each of which become the 12 tribes of Israel, which will go on to become the nation of Israel that we know today. And from that space, from Abraham, the lineage of him follows all the way to Jesus, the Messiah. So Abram is a man who is incredibly famous, but what is he famous for? Well, for that, we need to go to Hebrews, the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 11. We see a wider view now, all right? A few hundred years, several generations, many, many, many generations have passed along, and now we see the, the effect of Abraham's decision to go when God said. What is Abraham famous for? Hebrews 11, verses 8 through 10. It says, By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed, and he set out for a place that he was going to receive as an inheritance. He went out even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he stayed as a foreigner in the land of promise, living in tents, as did his son Isaac and his son Jacob, who were co-heirs of the same promise. And this is it right here. This is the key for our message today. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. I want to read that again. He was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. What is Abraham famous for? He's famous for faith and obedience. He's famous for faith and obedience. He's famous for hearing God. He's famous for seeing with eyes of faith. He's famous for choosing to go. And why was he going? Because verse 10 reminds us because he was looking forward to this interesting statement of a city with foundations whose architect and builder 
is God. What are we talking about today? What is Abraham's story really about? If you're taking notes, I encourage you to write this down. The story of Abraham is an exercise in seeing the future and walking toward it. What lesson can we learn from Abraham? The lesson that we can learn from him is is that when God speaks something, it's believing it, it's seeing what God is showing and choosing to walk there, even though you don't have all the answers of how you're going to get there, what it's going to take to get there, and what it might cost, but going anyway. The story of Abraham is an exercise in seeing the future and walking toward it. My question to you today is, what does God want to build in your life? What does God want to build in your life? Where is God calling you to go? What is he calling you to do? For some of you, it might be a new job. For some of you, you've had a a dream to start a business. Maybe God is calling you to reconcile with an individual that you've had a rough relationship with or a brokenness in your relationship. Maybe God's calling you to move to a new city or perhaps one day to be a missionary. Maybe God is calling you to, to, to begin uh, donating to like a charitable cause or to volunteer somewhere or to, I don't know, whatever it might be. For some of you in the room, you have for years ha- had a dream or you had a heart, uh, something that God put in your heart and you have held off on it and you have put it in the back shelf because you didn't know what to do. You felt like it wasn't time yet or you were too afraid. And this morning, God might be reminding you of it. I have put a dream in your heart. I've called you to go to a place. I've called you to to do something. And I believe that God is saying today that it's not you that's going to make it happen. It's him. Because remember, Abraham saw ahead to a city with foundations that the architect and the builder was God. If there is something in your life that God is calling you to do, that there's a place that he's calling you to go, you are not the one who's going to make it happen. Your job is to walk toward it. He is the architect. He is the designer of it. He will reveal his plans and he will build it. Are you willing to see the future that God has for you? Are you willing to see what God has for you? I want to tell you about where I see God calling our church to today. Uh, if you got the newsletter this week, I had mentioned there was a big announcement we were making, and I just want to share with you a couple thoughts. Um, several years ago, um, God, I was in a time of prayer, much like an Abraham in a way. I was praying, I was just worshiping, and I believe that the Lord put an image in my mind, and I actually have it on the screen here, um, an image of the east end of Pittsburgh. Uh, if you're unfamiliar with the map of Pittsburgh, we are right here, okay? And so, um, I, I remember praying and I just was like, God, what is that? And I knew instantly that that meant that God was, was putting in my heart that he wanted to have influence. If you look at each of the neighborhoods of the East End, you see the little Encounter Church E on all of the neighborhoods. And I didn't know what that meant. I didn't really know fully what it, what are you saying to me, God? But I knew in my spirit that, that the Holy Spirit was saying, this is the area of territory. That I believe that this is the area of territory that God wants to have influence over in the city through our church. And so over the last few years, uh, as, a, as a man, as a pastor, as a leader, I have spent much time thinking and praying and moving our church in directions in order to bring whatever this is about, okay? I very much feel like Abraham. I feel a lot like Abraham today because God is calling our church into a different direction, a new direction. But at the same time, I'm comfortable where I am. We are all comfortable with where we are right now. We know exactly what we do every Sunday morning, right? There's a lot for me to consider as the pastor of this church. There's a lot that I am responsible for, but I hear God calling us towards a promise to a new way to reach our city and to grow our family. 
And so I've been particularly praying the last several months, God, what is it you have for us? God reminded me of this. He brought it back and said, Jared, I want to reach the city. I want to reach people, but I want to do it in a way that feels natural to you, in a way that feels strong for how you naturally do ministry. And I began doing research. I began looking in other, other ways. How are other churches around the, around the country? What's going on? What, are, what is God doing not just to reach people like us, but people who don't want to come to church? People who are friends of yours who maybe are like, I don't really have any reason to go to church, but you know that they would have conversations with you about, about God, about faith, about spirituality, but in an environment maybe that's different than a Sunday morning. And I began praying, and I said, God, what do you want to do? How can we continue to, to reach people in our city? How can we be who we're called to be? And I believe that God said, I want want you to focus more on relationships and relational aspects of ministry in groups rather than the program of a Sunday morning format. And so I began to ask God, what does that look like? And I believe God began to tell me, I want you to begin shifting your church into a network of house churches instead of a Sunday morning, Sunday morning kind of format. We already do what we're going to be doing. We already have life groups, for example, right, where we meet together in homes. And that's really where the core of our church ministry is all the time anyway. Everybody in this room is connected and deeply into relationships where we get into each other's homes and we spend time in prayer and we spend time in, in reading of the word and discussing it, right? And growing in that. And we hang out. Half of the room was at my house this past Friday night in a fire in my house and we were having a good time together, right? We already do that. And I feel like God is saying, what I want for you and for this city is I want to begin to place house churches around the city in these neighborhoods so that the influence of our church will grow in those neighborhoods. Now, I recognize this is a radical shift. This is a moment where God is saying to the pastor of a church, I want you to get up from where you have been. I want you to move to a place in a new style of ministry that maybe you have never done before, and I'm going to go there. And I, as your pastor, am sitting here today telling you, and many of you, I've had conversations about this with personally, individually, so it's not a surprise to most of you because I've tried over the last month to really spend time to, to lay the groundwork and foundation for this. But I hear God saying, there is a new way to reach people. I don't want just the people who are here. I don't just want people to come to church who are the people who actually are already looking for churches. I want people who don't know about Jesus. I want my coworker who, for several years ago, when I was working at BNY Mellon, who told me, and I was shocked in the moment, that he had never stepped foot inside of a church in his life, not even for a wedding. And I thought to myself, how would our church reach that guy? And there's not an answer for that. Like the way that we do ministry, and and that's not to say that churches that meet on Sunday mornings and do the normal sort of service for it, that that's wrong. It's not. But what I hear God saying to us is we are built for connections. We are built for relationships. And the people that we want to reach who are like us already value conversations and value coming into homes and, and hanging out and enjoying each other's company and having those conversations, we can have a better chance to reach them through that way. And so what I see God saying is we're going to create a network of house churches, and it's going to start with one. So the beginning of September, the first Sunday in September, we're coming back to my house as a church family. We're going to be meeting on Sunday mornings for a time of worship together. It'll look very similar in some ways. Time of worship together. Time of prayer together. There'll be some food where we like to eat together, break bread together. There's going to be teaching time. There's going to be discussion time. There's going to be a time for us in an intimate environment. And I believe that that's a place that God is going to create a core group of people who then one day are going to start a second house church in another neighborhood. And then that house church is going to start another house church. And before long, you're going to see across the city of Pittsburgh, you're going to see multiples. And I don't know whether that means that every single one of these neighborhoods is going to have a house church. I pray that that's true. I pray that God would multiply 
multiply us so much that every single neighborhood in the city would have a, have a house church in it. And then we will come together on a, on a regular basis, just like in an environment like this, as a corporate body. I hear God calling us. I hear him saying, Jared, take Encounter Church in this new direction because I have plans. And I look ahead and I say, God, what are you doing? How are we going to get there? But what I see is a city with foundations, that God is the architect, where he is the builder. And I recognize that this is different, but I want to assure you that this is the same thing that many churches across the nation are doing right now, across the world are doing right now. In fact, this is the way the church started. If you read the book of Acts, they met in each other's homes all the time, and then they would come together at like a temple or a synagogue on a periodic basis. This is nothing new. In fact, it is a solution that many churches, that many pastors and leaders all over the world are, are leaning into in order to reach people who are far from God, who have no interest in going to church at all. I bet every one of you know somebody like that. I bet every one of you know somebody who you think would probably have a conversation, would welcome a conversation about faith, but would never step through the doors of a church building. But they might come to your house or to a backyard barbecue. They might have a coffee with you and a group of people. They might. And that is something that I see God is doing. He's calling us to something new. The story of Abraham is an exercise in seeing the future and walking toward it. Now, there are a few things that we can learn from Abraham's life that we need to know to live out the kind of faith that he is famous for. And this is not just about what our church is doing, but whatever God might be saying to you this morning, a few more things that we're going to look in Scripture and see. Because famous, Abraham is famous for things. He's famous for his faith and his obedience. But what does it take to live that? And remember, verse 10 said that he was looking forward to a city with foundations where God is the architect and the builder. What is the blueprint of that faith? What does that look like? Well, here it is. There are the blueprint of faith. Number one, for us to walk forward in whatever God has for us individually and as a church, it takes patience. Hebrews 6 verses 13 to 15 says, for, for when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater to swear by, he swore by himself. So God was like, I swear by myself, I will indeed bless you and I will greatly multiply you. And so, what does it say? After waiting patiently, Abraham obtained the promise. Right? So now this is, this is like a thousand years later, looking back and saying, what can we learn from Abraham's life? And the first thing we can learn about it was that he not only did he get up and go and he believed, but he waited patiently. And here's the thing, is that the journey from, from Haran to Canaan, and when he got to Canaan, the journey from that to the time that he had a child was like 40 years. And then from that space, Abraham died before he ever saw that he had grandchildren. Right? So the promise becoming fulfilled ultimately took many, many, many years and required patience. And I love that the Bible makes it clear that in so after waiting patiently, Abraham obtained the promise. Abraham just did what he was called to do. And whatever it is that God wants to do in your life, if you say, I feel like God says I'm going to have a family one day, and you're like, but I don't have any kids at all. If that's you right now, and you believe, and you're holding on to the promise that God says, I'm going to be a mother, or I'm going to be a father, it doesn't just mean like one day you're going to have five kids. First, it's going to take time for you to get married, and then you have to try to have a baby, and then you have your one baby, and then you have your two babies, and by the time you get to the end of your life, and you look back over the five that you don't have, whatever that might be, you look back and you see that I waited patiently, and it took time. Whatever it is, if you're starting a business, or in our case, starting a church, or, or moving in a New direction. The promise that God has down the road is going to take patience in your life. 
The blueprint of faith, number one, requires patience. Number two, the second thing that Abraham exhibited for us, not just patience, was it requires resolve. It requires resolve. Romans chapter 4, verse 20 to 22, says this, Abraham did not waver in unbelief at God's promise, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God because he was fully convinced that what God had promised, he was able to do. Therefore, it was credited to him as righteousness. I want to highlight two Greek words in this passage right here, okay, for the scholars in the room. Two words here under waver and unbelief. The first is a word called diakrino. Diakrino, I believe we'll have it on the screen here. Um, Can you guys say that with me? Diakrino. It means waver, but if you look deeper into the definition of the word, it actually means to evaluate carefully, to judge, and to decide. But then the second word we will look at is called apistia. Say that, apistia. Apistia means unbelief or doubt. So what do we see here? He did not waver in unbelief, but he was fully convinced. What does that mean? Let's rephrase it a different way. He evaluated carefully. He judged and made a decision not to doubt. That's different than unwavering, wavering in unbelief. Okay, it's the same thing. One from a negative perspective, the other from a positive. But if you look at it, the Greek word actually means to evaluate, to judge, and to make a decision about something. At some point, Abraham heard what God said to him about where he was to go and what was to happen. And he carefully considered and evaluated and he judged whether or not he was going to do it. And once he decided to move along, he decided he would not no longer walk in doubt. He said, this is what will happen. And if I die on the road, so be it. But I'm going where God said, not because I can do it, but because he was looking forward to a city whose architect and builder is God. He believed that God was able to do it, right? It says that right here, that he was fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised and he was able to do it. And for each of you, whatever it is that God is speaking into your life, a promise that he has made to you long ago or an idea that he's putting in your heart right now, something that he's saying for you to do or a place to go, what he's doing is he's saying to you, I want you to believe that I can make it happen even if you can't see it. But at some point, you have to carefully evaluate. You have to judge and decide for yourself that you will move forward and not doubt any longer. That's a hard word. And I don't, I'm not saying that, you know, if you read the rest of the story with Abraham, there were plenty of moments where he was like, God, I don't understand. And God was faithful to him and brought moments to confirm and reaffirm the covenant for him. But he made a lot of mistakes along the way. So we're not saying that like that walking in faith means not like not just getting it right 100% of the time, but it does mean resolving in your heart that you have heard from God and you will move forward and not let anybody tell you otherwise. That's what it means to walk in faith like Abraham. So the blueprint of faith is not just, it just requires, it takes patience. It for sure does. We have to be patient. As it's a slow process, like 500 miles. How is it going to look for us as a church one day across the city? I see it. I see us having vibrant home churches where, where you guys and so many other people we haven't even met who are far from God are sitting in a house in someone's couch right around a dinner table and they're having conversations and they're being prayed for and they're inviting the other friends to come in and, and it's happening all over the city. I see 
see it happening. I see it happening. But what is it going to take for us to get there? I don't know. And how long is it going to take before that promise becomes a reality? It could be years before we look back and we say, look at this. We've got 10. I don't know. I don't know what it's going to be like. It's going to require patience for sure. But it's also going to take resolve because there are going to be days where you or I are going to wonder, God, was this the right decision? Are we getting there? Are we doing this the right thing? Man, that was a mistake. We got to turn around and do something different, do something else. And the same thing is true for you and your dream. Whatever God has put in your life, if it's go back to school and change careers, and as you're moving through those classes, you're not doing well in your class. And you're like, God, I thought you told me that I was going to do well in this. I thought you told me that you wanted me to be an HR professional or or a business leader or whatever. And there are going to be days when you're going to worry that what the, the, the decision you're walking, the path you're walking along was a mistake. It requires resolve. You have to decide and fully convince yourself that God is able. But even beyond that, the good news is it also brings blessing. It brings blessing. Look what it says in Galatians 3, verse 7 and 9. It says, you know then that those who have faith, these are Abraham's sons. These are Abraham's sons. That means that you and me, each one of us, that we are children of faith. But look what it says in verse 9. So because of that, consequently, those who have faith are blessed with Abraham. Can we get that on the screen here? Consequently, those who have faith are blessed with Abraham who had faith. I'm not making this up. This is the word of God right here that is saying this to you, that when you are a person of faith, when you believe something in your heart that you have no business believing, if everyone looks at you and says, that's crazy, but you know in your heart that God has called you to do something, when you have faith and you believe, you are blessed with Abraham. And what that means is that you are the kind of a person now, like as Kylie had mentioned during the giving moment, that the blessed life is not about money. It's about God's presence walking with you everywhere you go. It means that when things are hard, when things are difficult, that you know that there is a way out. I want to tell you a quick story about this, and you're going to say, this sounds kind of crazy, Jared, but listen, I debated about saying it. So when we first were called to plant our church, this is like six, seven years ago, I remember flying in an airplane, and at the time, I was terrified of airplanes. Not so much the flying part, but any kind of turbulence. So we would be flying and on, the, on the takeoff, and it's like shaking, right? Or if I'm on, you know, just kind of coasting up on the, uh, um, you know, while we're up at 30,000 feet, and it would just sort of shake all of a sudden, or particularly when we're going down and descending, right? That kind of feeling. I remember feeling, it being filled with feelings of death. Like, I would absolutely feel like in that moment, so many, every single time I would get on an airplane, I would say, is this the end? I'm going to die. I feel like I'm going to die. I don't know. I would have feelings and thoughts of morbid, like, demise. This was the, the thought. But here it is. And I believe Abraham had moments like this when he was being attacked by people. He was being ambushed. When he, you know, all of these different things that you can read about throughout the Bible— that I remember then going, but God, I know you called me to plant a church. I know it. I know it. And I know that this is not my end. I know without a shadow of a doubt, this is not my end. And so while I was afraid, while I was worried, while I was still feeling that way, there was a part of me that had such faith that rose up in me that said, I know God has called me. I see ahead to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. And therefore, this plane ride will not be the end of me because I know God has called me to do that. Now, in this case, right, and my life has been blessed because of it. 
It has been blessed because of it. Guys, I cannot tell you the overflowing blessing that has happened in my life relationally and, and, and spiritually and emotionally and physically. My life, God has gone ahead of me in so many circumstances because I've put him first, because I've walked in faith. And so, yes, this moment right now where we're taking our church in a direction that is a bit unorthodox compared to what normal most churches do on a Sunday morning is crazy in the eyes of those people who don't understand, who haven't heard it. I get it. And yet, I know the voice of God. I know him speaking to me. And I have seen that every time I've stepped out in faith, he has been faithful and he has blessed my church and he has blessed my family. And whatever it is in your life, whatever it is, if it's a leap into a new career, if it's a new city, if it's reconnecting with a relationship of someone that has hurt you time and time again, but you hear God saying, I want you to reconcile with them, whatever it might be, if you hear clearly, and I encourage you to do what Abraham did, carefully considered, all right? So this is the difference of the person going, well, I guess I've got something hard in my life. I might as well do it because of faith. No, what I'm saying is Abraham carefully considered. He judged, and then he made a decision. I want you to ask yourself that question this morning. Is there something that God is prompting me to do, and I need to carefully evaluate it? I need to judge it, and then decide not to doubt if you feel this is what God has said. And from that place, you walk in patience. Just continue walking in that direction. Some days you're going to be like, wow, I got to check. Oh, the compass says I'm actually like, I need to get back on track, right? Just walking in patience. God, I can't see the, I can't see it yet. How far do we go, God? Oh, we only went 10 feet. Okay, we'll keep walking, right? Like patience, patience, resolve when it's now a hill. How do I, I don't know. I can't, I guess I'll just turn around. No, I'm going to find a way up this hill. Like that's resolve knowing that along the way, God will be walking with you. God will be providing for you. He will be taking care of you. He will bring people into your way. He will bring resources along the way. He brings blessing in your life. And it says that right here. Consequently, those who have faith are blessed with Abraham who had faith. So the real answer is, is that you're in good company. When you become a person of faith, of a walking out and obedience of faith, you are in good company. Just stand with me as we kind of close up today. What does God want to build in your life? What does he want to build in your life? Where is God calling you to go? What is he calling you to do? Are you willing to see the future that he has for you? For our church? For our city? The story of Abraham is an exercise in seeing the future and walking toward it. Would you pray with me? God, I love that the stories that we see in the Bible are not just stories, but they actually are, they are actually like reflections of principles that you have called each one of us to. And God, the story of Abraham is one that is talked about over 200 times. In other words, emphasized. In other words, pay attention. So many times Jesus talked about faith when we can't see things. So many times uh, people in the Bible are rewarded for faith. And sometimes it feels like blind faith. I'm sure that the people that Abraham left behind in Haran probably laughed at him. Probably thought, man, you're crazy. You don't even know what's down there. You could be killed along the way. But he knew in his heart that God had spoken and called him and promised. 
And so, God, right now, we just say, God, the things that you are calling each of us to as individuals and as a church family, God, I pray that you would help us to consider, to evaluate, to judge, and to have faith and to not doubt. God, I pray that it would be very clear in the individual lives of our church family here, the things that you would remind them of, the words that you have spoken over them. I remember when you called me to plant this church. I remember then that it was a forgotten dream and you reminded me of a word you spoke over me years before that. I pray that right now for anyone in the room that they had forgotten about the dreams that you have for them, that you would now remind them in Jesus' name. I pray that for people in the room today that you would insert a dream right now God, that you would make it abundantly clear what they are to do, where they are to go, and and how they are to get there, and what that would look like in the beginning stages, God. And I pray for all of us that you would give us the faith to walk forward, to walk in faith and obedience, and that we would be called among Abraham's children, sons and daughters of Father Abraham, who would be known as famous for people of faith and obedience. God, give us patience as we walk down the road towards the promise that you've given us. God, give us resolve when things get hard, when they get difficult. Band us together as friends, as followers of Christ. God, and we pray for your blessing in our lives. I pray that you would resource everything that we do, every step that we take. I pray that our relationships would be mended with each other and with those who are far from. And I pray that you would um, heal our physical bodies. I pray that you would heal our broken minds and our broken hearts, God. I pray that you provide jobs. I pray you provide education. That you would open doors, God. That you would close the ones that are wrong for us. And all of these things, we ask for them as blessing in our lives because we are your kids. Help us to see the future, to see the city with foundations ahead of us and to trust that you are the architect and you are the builder and you will do what you have promised. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. If you call Encounter Church Home or if you'd like to partner with us to support the work that God is doing here, you can take advantage of our online giving option. Just go to EncounterGiving.com. Also, stay up to date with us throughout the week by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at EncounterPGH. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.